Hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm Steve Anderson, and I'm really excited to uh, have this first show uh, really around the concepts of, of my book. And what I thought I'd do for this uh, first show is a, a little bit more background on myself and how I came to write, uh, and actually I should you know, hold it up for you, but the Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. My background, the thought process in terms of how I came up with this idea, and talk a little bit about the writing process. And future shows, I'll go uh, a bit deeper into some of the concepts and ideas in the book itself. But I thought this would be a good place for us to start uh, together. So uh, my background uh, has been in the insurance industry. Uh, I first became involved in the industry a, a couple years out of college in 1978. In fact, that's what the year I got my first license to actually sell insurance and went to work for a independent insurance agency in uh, the Washington, D.C. area where I grew up in the Maryland suburbs there. Uh, met my wife. Actually, we met in uh, uh, college. Uh, well, we started dating in high school and then uh, got married in college and stayed in the D.C. area for, for quite a while. Probably what's important there is, in addition to all the insurance stuff, and we dealt mainly with individuals insuring their autos and homes, but also businesses insuring their workers and liability and products and services and things like that. But I also became involved and really interested in technology and how technology could help me as an insurance agent, but also the industry. Um, and I do have a bit of background there. My dad uh, worked for a company called Burroughs Corporation, um, worked there for 36 years, so his entire career. They were one of the first, in addition to IBM, which you certainly recognize the name there, uh, who were selling these new computers to large businesses to do processing, payroll, accounting, right, lots of different things. In fact, I remember I was a, a freshman uh, in college uh, taking a, a programming course called COBOL, uh, which is a you know business language that, in fact, still many, many uh, computer systems use that as the basis for uh, their programming. Uh, and uh, we were using literally punch cards, right? Typing in punch cards uh, for our programming. And I know that sounds like crazy today. Uh, when you sit at a, a, a workstation and computer to be able to program. But I had stacks of these punch cards that I would take down to my dad's office in downtown Washington, about four or five blocks from the White House, and run through their machines that they had set up to demonstrate the capabilities to their prospects and, and clients. And running those punch cards through, getting by green bar printout paper, and then debugging some of those uh, those programs. So I, I literally have had an early interest in technology from all the way back then to today when, and what I do. Uh, another interesting fact, at least to me, is um, my first cellular telephone was a car phone. In fact, Washington, D.C. was one of the first uh, cities to test this new technology from Motorola. And uh, it was amazing. Uh, big device bolted to the hump of my car uh, and able to pick up the phone, dial a number and immediately get connected. 
certainly fast forward today and many of us are carrying around those right devices here, be it an iPhone or an Android with capabilities far beyond that. So kind of fast forward, Washington DC uh, moved to uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, also then working for a insurance agency and started doing consulting on the side with other insurance agency who had questions and needed help around how to use technology. Worked in the 90s there um, and then in 1999 decided uh, literally to start up my own firm doing research, speaking, writing, consulting uh, around technology in the insurance industry and very specifically insurance agents and brokers. And I've been doing that for the last 25 years. As part of that process, I have been very involved with insurance industry um, groups, you know, uh, that are looking at technology and helping agents understand what's coming. And again, remember, this is like you know, early 2000s when, you know, websites were just really starting to take off and, and people were starting to contemplate, you know, buying online very early in that process, very early in digital stuff, meaning scanning documents as opposed to having paper files. And so I was intimately involved with that process and that change throughout. Well, all of that background, the insurance background and then the technology background really gave me a very interesting perspective on risk, right? So, you know, insurance is all about reducing risk. And I started asking the question in, um, you know, kind of 2000, probably 12, 13, 14, I started asking the question, is the biggest risk a business, or in my case, initially, an agency or brokerage faces is actually not taking enough risk. Why would I even ask that question? Well, it was because with technology continuing to develop as rapidly as it was, in fact, you know, one of the common comments was, I can't believe how fast things are changing, right? And we experience that even today where businesses didn't have the time they used to have to look at a new technology, a new platform, a new process, and figure out how it's going to affect them. Should they adopt it, or can they push it off for a while? Well, that decision period became shorter and shorter, and the longer they delayed, the more likely it is they would be behind and maybe not even be able to catch up. So I, I was involved with an industry work group called the changing nature of risk, meaning all this new technology, how is that going to impact the insurance industry from autonomous vehicles? How is that going to impact liability and accidents and things like that? Drones, 3D printing, smart homes uh, and, and devices, right? All kinds of different things that could impact the industry. And as we thought about those technologies and the impact, I realized that same impact happens on lots of different businesses. So if that was an accurate statement, I wanted to figure that out. Is that true? Is the biggest risk not taking enough risk? And so I started researching businesses that had been successful at those transitions, meaning being able to be successful at looking at technology and implementing it and keeping it going. And those that didn't, 
Uh, and I've really started out with those that had failed. And some of those names are really common now, right? Kodak invented the digital camera, but wasn't able to transition their business model to not be almost entirely dependent on film, physical film. And I, I in, in high school and college, I was a photographer and, you know, photography editor of our yearbook in college and write all those kinds of things. So film was a, a really important part of what I did there. But they weren't able to make that transition to no film. How can that even work? And our revenue is going to drop to nothing. BlackBerry, right? Uh, again, again, to me, you know, kind of the tech geek part of me goes, boy, that's really interesting. Because in 2007, when Steve Jobs got up on stage and announced the very first version of what has we now know as the iPhone, you know, the, the co-CEOs at BlackBerry who had the market, they cornered the market on mobile devices and mobile email, right? Every business owner of any size had a BlackBerry and was able to work on email, not tied to a desk. But their first thought was two, two things. One is, Who's going to want to type on a glass keyboard or not have that tactile feel of being able to touch keys? And two, the, the cellular infrastructure, the towers, absolutely cannot support browsing on the Internet. There's just not enough capacity. Well, what they didn't realize were that people would um, adopt the ability to go on the Internet from the palm of their hands faster than they realized. And two, AT&T, the exclusive provider to the iPhone in those early years, would spend billions of dollars to increase the infrastructure and capability of that. And that's what happened. And BlackBerry kept falling farther and farther behind because their, uh, their assumptions were inaccurate. And we could go to Sears. And I looked at a wide variety, right? Sears, I again, could be interesting, but the very first catalog company, the first mail order company, remember the Sears catalog, you, you have to be pretty old to remember it, but you could buy anything and everything in the Sears catalog, you know, by calling a, a number and ordering it and getting it in the mail. And they absolutely were successful at transitioning from catalog to retail. What they stumbled at and were not able to do is transition from retail to e-commerce, to website. And, and that's where they fell down. So those were some of the examples I looked at of, of not being successful. And then, of course, I looked at some of the examples being successful. And frankly, one of the biggest examples of being successful in taking technology and embracing it was Amazon. And again, story, we'll go into more of the Amazon story as, as we get into different shows. But Jeff Bezos, uh, a financial analyst in New York, came across a statistic in 1993-ish that said the internet usage was increasing by 2,300% per year. And what he said was, that kind of exponential growth just doesn't happen very often. And he started asking the question, what kind of business could take advantage of that kind of growth? 
So long story that we'll go into uh, later, but the short version is Amazon.com, the website became live in 1994. And in 1997, they went public, uh, meaning initial public offering, raised about $54 million by selling shares in Amazon. Well, that led Bezos to start writing letters to share owners. And again, we'll talk about some of the nuances there. But 1997 was the very first letter. And when I started researching Amazon and asking the question, how have they become so successful? I came across the letters to shareholders. Now, this was about two. Well, let's see. Let me think here. This was about 20. Uh, probably 16 or 17. And those letters are public. They're on Amazon's website. They're on the Securities and Exchange Commission website. And so I started reading uh, one or two letters and realized actually that there was a lot of really good management advice and information. What, what I call Bezos hid in plain sight his keys to growing Amazon. So I literally over a few days sat down and re read every single letter that had been published up to that time. So 1997, now the latest letter was uh, published uh, in April of uh, this last year, the 2019 letter. And certainly as we're uh, talking here today, April of 2021, a new letter will be coming out for the year 2020, which probably will be interest, very interesting to read about what's happened at Amazon this last year. But those letters, I thought, were an amazing resource that I had not heard anybody else talk about. And so this is sort of now transitioning from my background and how I came to the concept of the book to the actual process of writing the Bezos letters. And my first stab at the book, what, what did become the book, was actually a white paper or a actually, if you're in the marketing, a lead generator. So I had, I put together a one-page summary of each of the letters that had been published so far. And I put in there kind of milestones, number of customers, number of employees, uh, sales during the years to be able to kind of see how Amazon has grown and also key takeaways because every letter often will have a theme to it. Bezos will talk about a certain aspect of Amazon and how they've grown and how they've been able to think differently about business. Well, I put that together. I actually sent you know, some samples out to a couple of friends, right, business friends, uh, including my wife and in including her boss at the time, the founder of Morgan James Publishing, who actually ended up publishing my book. And my wife came back and David Hancock, founder of Morgan James Publishing, both came back literally within hours of me sending this to them both saying, this is not a white paper, this is not a lead gen, this is a book. And I, I literally remember going, oh, shoot, <laughs> how in the world am I going to do that? Um, now, I'm fortunate, and you'll hear me talk a bit more about her, but I am absolutely fortunate to be married to the world's best book coach, 
book strategy and book editor, which is why her name is on the book cover also, because she is as much a part of this book as I am. So that, that started the process of, okay, how do I turn this into a book? And actually what the first iteration of the book was not the Bezos letters. It was a title, a working title that I had called The Changing Nature of Risk. Again, if risk is changing and businesses can't adapt fast enough, is that their biggest risk? And then we started pivoting from that concept to the Bezos letters, where I took the letters and actually started writing, you know, each letter, 97, 98, 99, 2000, you know, here are the key takeaways, and then started adding stories around the concepts that Bezos talked about in those letters. So I'd been working probably for eight months on that. And then my wife, Karen, was going to take that, you know, really rough draft of a manuscript and then start working on it and refining it, doing what she actually does best, which is taking my really bad first draft and uh, making something of it. And so um, she, I, I submitted my manuscript to her. Uh, we were, we had already got the book publishing deal. We were on a deadline of submitting the manuscript to the publisher. Uh, there was already quite a bit of interest in the book title. Um, because it was unique. No one else had done anything like that. And so we were getting lots of pressure to get the, the manuscript in so the book could be published, et cetera. And again, we may talk about that in some subsequent episodes. And so um, then I still remember the conversation. So she had gotten the manuscript. She had spent some time with it. And I came, came home from work um, one night and she said, honey, I need to talk to you. Well, if you're a man and your wife says that, you, you pretty much know your first reaction is, uh-oh, what have I done? <laughs> what did, okay, what did I do wrong? I'm sorry. Right? I mean, and so she said, I need to talk to you about the book. And I had written the book, like I said, in chronological order. So each chapter was a year. 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, et cetera. And she said, honey, nobody cares what each letter said. The chronological order is not the right way to do this book. And I mean, I, I was, I, I'd worked hard, right? In my mind, I'd had a lot of stuff written down, but I also absolutely trusted her. And if she said the chronological order wouldn't work, it wouldn't work. It would not be a good book because she said, nobody cares what year he said what. They care what he said. And so we started talking about it. And she said, can you come up with principles that Bezos has used to grow Amazon? And I said, I don't know. Um, you know, it literally took me a couple of days just to kind of, you know, relax after that <laughs> and go, okay, um, let's let's give it a second try. And so at, at that point, it, literally in probably two days, I came up with eight principles. 
and kind of through the rest of the writing process of finishing the manuscript, we ended up choosing 14 principles, hence the subtitle, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. And we group those principles into four cycles, test, build, accelerate, and scale, which are the cycles that I believe every business goes through, whether you're a startup company or you've been around for 20 years. If you're coming up with a new idea, a new product, you're testing, you're, you're taking those results, you're building upon them, you're trying to accelerate your, your growth, and then you have all the problems around scale, meaning how do I scale this? And again, just a, a, an idea for Amazon. Amazon in 2020, last year, hired a little over 400,000 employees. If you don't think Amazon has had to spend time figuring out how to scale, that's an indicator of what they built in the infrastructure in those areas. So in, in subsequent shows, we'll go through each of those four cycles and the principles in those four cycles. But that's how the book came about. And, you know, frankly, there's been uh, a surprising amount of interest. I mean, I, I'm I'm the biggest one that's surprised, but we we now have um, foreign rights in 17 languages. So the book's being translated into 17 languages. Um, in fact, just a couple of months ago, uh, Turkey, Turkish and Polish are the two latest languages where the book is being uh, being translated. Significant interest. Um, we found out that the complex Chinese version, basically Taiwan, has sold over 5,000 books, you know, kind of our first royalty statement from, from that. So she was right. <laughs> Nobody cared about chronology. They cared about the principles. And, and when I talk to people who have read the book, when I'm on podcasts, when I'm, you know, uh, going into depth on some of these principles, it really is the principles that have resonated with people and, you know, the cycles and, and how they all work together. So each principle stands on its own but they also interact with each other. And, you know, I really do look forward to talking more about those principles in uh, shows that we have in the future. And so that's a bit of my background, a um, bit of background on the book writing. Uh, by the way, I, one of the questions I get asked is, uh, did you like writing a book? And my answer is always no but I'm really glad I've written a book. <laughs> so it was a hard process. It's probably one of the harder things I've done in my career. Uh, and I've written, I wrote, I write articles, probably hundreds if not thousands of articles over the years, but there's a real difference between writing a thousand to 1500 word article and what ended up being a 60,000 word book. Cause it's, it, the, and that's where the strategy for book writing comes in. Part of what Karen's just marvelous at is thinking on behalf of the reader and how do you pull the reader through the book? And if there's any comment we've gotten is that the book is very readable. So if you haven't gotten the book, if you haven't read the book, I certainly got to pitch that, right? But 
Bezos Letters. It's available on Amazon, obviously, uh, I guess, and uh, in uh, local bookstores. It's available in UK, uh, New Zealand. Uh, that's actually one of the uh, foreign editions. Uh, we have a, a, a partnership with uh, a, a large book publisher in the in the uh, European area, uh, Japan, Korea. Uh, Taiwan, uh, China, uh, all are editions that are available. So hopefully this was helpful. Uh, I enjoyed being able to talk a bit about it. Um, what I also, so I'm, I'm wrapping up now and, and what I want you to do is write down the date because we already have our next show scheduled. And in that show, I will go into more depth on the four cycles and the 14 principles. I'll do an overview of all of those, talk a bit about it, and then we'll look at talking more in depth on uh, uh, the principles themselves. But what are the principles? How do they work in the cycles? And, and why are they important? Uh, and again, all to help you grow your business like Amazon. And I, I want one of the things I feel like I always need to remind people is Jeff Bezos started like every other business owner, literally on his hands and knees, putting books people had bought online when nobody knew you could sell books online into a package, putting them in his car, driving them to the post office so they could be mailed to the clients. He started just like everybody else. Obviously, he's ended up very different. But that doesn't mean there aren't principles that he uses, and I think very counterintuitively, to grow Amazon that could apply to your business too. So next show, February 24th at noon Eastern time, uh, I will be back again going more in depth on the four cycles and the 14 principles. So I'm Steve Anderson. Uh, thanks so much for uh, taking a few minutes out of your day to, to spend time with me.